0: Hi, I'm Harry. And I'm Simon. Together we sell all sorts of antiques and collectibles from our two auction houses in Windsor and in Devon. But where do the items come from? Join us as we chat about house clearances, our weird and wonderful finds, and interview others in the antiques and auction trade, and if we're honest, just about any other topic that happens to come to mind.
1: Welcome back to The Gabble and the Gabble. I am joined, as ever, by my erstwhile colleague and friend, me. <laughs> okay, great as ever. It's
0: Simon. I'm down in Devon. Uh, I'm on a shaky piece of string and two tin cans, uh, but I'm sure we can make this work, Harry. He's talking about his internet connection there. Everybody, no, no,
1: he's not just balancing on <laughs> a piece of string and <laughs> maybe, some tin cans. Maybe not. How are you, dear boy? You're right. Do you know what? I'm very well. I'm very well. I've had a lovely day. We'll show, we'll lift the curtain slightly. We've had a day of um, chatting to people, haven't we? We have. So that's that's quite fun. But we've got one more to do. And we have a
0: proper mover and shaker in our industry at the heart of pretty much everything we do, which is Matt Ball, the publishing director of the ATG. For anybody that doesn't know, the ATG, uh, the Antiques Trade Gazette is a magazine, is a trading platform, is a whole host of technology that supports traders, auction houses, buyers all around the world. And they are an intrinsic part of all of our organizations and this business. And it is a fabulous little ecosystem which Matt will tell us all about um, and he's got some fabulous insights to share with us.
1: So I'm looking forward to this. What do you think? Can't wait. Here's Matt Ball. <music> I am so chuffed. Uh, we are joined by Matt Ball, the publishing director of the ATG, the Bible of uh, the UK antiques market, and he has very kindly taken some time out of his uh, hugely busy schedule uh, to have a chat with Simon and
2: myself. Welcome, Matt. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And if I might just say congratulations on all you do with the Gavel and Gabble podcast. I think it's a wonderful thing.
0: Oh, thank you. That's very kind. That's of you. very kind of you indeed. And I have to say, we uh, Matt, uh, we've got two auction houses, as you know, one in Devon, one in Windsor. And literally, for those that are listening that don't know, the ATG it is as Harry said, the Bible. It, it, we take it you know, every week at both houses. And you know it, it guides us in terms of um, what we're looking for. It's it's a stunning um, uh, magazine, and we look forward to it. But also, of course, you have the SaleRoom.com, which is the biggest platform for online bidding worldwide. Is that correct, Matt? Uh,
2: well, certainly in the UK, uh, it's a, it's a major player. Ultimately, all of that is part of a company called Auction Technology Group, which also runs. Uh, auction marketplaces in Germany and the US and so on. We have liveauctioneers.com in America, for example, which is, if you like, a bit like the saleroom.com over here. Yes. Um, And uh, that makes us kind of a worldwide business.
0: It does indeed. It does indeed. Now, before we get into that, um, because it is a fascinating business and it is a major part of our businesses, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, tell us how you got uh, you know, into this role, how you got to the ATG um, and your role at the moment, please.
2: Sure. So currently at ATG, uh, I'm publishing director, which I've done for seven or eight years now. Prior to that, I spent 14 years at Microsoft doing a variety of uh, online content roles and before that I was in uh, financial magazine publishing back in the good old previous millennium as we, might, <laughs> as, we might, as we might call it.
0: Fantastic and and your role what sort of things are we focusing on going forward with the ATG this year do we think?
2: There's a lot going on every week because we've got to publish a newspaper every week but there's also stuff going on every day because we put stories on our website every day and produce a daily newsletter that comes into your inbox at about 7am each day giving you the latest headlines and so on we just launched a little kind of mini redesign of uh, the newspaper changing some colours and some other bits and pieces which is nice just to freshen things up
1: hang on one second matt don't mean to interrupt you but there's um, the the teacher's pet look he's got it in look his hand that. look at that the new the new look antique trade gazette fabulous
2: <laughs> Full marks and brownie points uh, to, to Simon there. Well, very... Thank you,
0: Matt, because that doesn't happen very often, so I really appreciate yeah. that. Well, that's good.
2: We've actually been challenged recently by postal strikes and so on. as I'm sure we all have in various various ways, whether we're trying to get you know last year trying to get Christmas cards to loved ones on time, trying to get the Gazette to all our readers on time has been uh, fun. And um, that's why we've been uh, really investing in the digital Gazette alongside the uh, the print doing a lot more to help readers get to the uh, digital edition which actually goes up on a Monday afternoon now Um, so you can get it before the print one Um, and as the post office gradually unwinds its backlog of uh, deliveries Mm -hmm. which will take a number of weeks and we'll get we'll get back up to speed Um, that's been a real bonus uh, so that everyone can get the get the news on time we've got plenty of stuff going on this year that I think uh, we're going to enjoy covering but I think every day you know something is bought and sold that could be of interest and uh, if it piques our interest then uh, we get on it and we and we cover it we'll be doing more reports from fairs and markets uh, more collector interviews which we've done quite a lot of over the past couple of years as you probably noticed they've got a lot of good feedback from the readers so we're always in the market for finding more collectors to interview and tell us about the weird and wonderful things that uh they've bought over the years into quite eclectic uh, collections. We've done everything from uh, chess sets to nutmeg graters to Japanese woodblock prints. You name it, people collect it and we cover it.
0: And that's part of the beauty of the magazine, isn't it, is that you cover such a wide Spectrum of uh, interests hmm. and and collectors, and you've got the traders, um, and and you do break some amazing stories so, uh, over the years that we've been reading it. I mean, that's part of the. Uh, enjoyment of reading the magazine is to see some of these cracking stories um, that you managed to, to bring to our attention that we wouldn't know about otherwise. Have, have you got a, a few favourites from along the way?
2: There are sometimes things that are catalogued as one thing at an auction for not very much money and sell for a lot more. A couple of, I think the most notable ones have been some paintings. There was one in uh, Norfolk last year, yes. estimated at 50 to £80, pounds, went for 160000 and uh, you know, as soon as we as soon as we see those things happen, then you know our job is to explain why. We would never do that, would we, Harry? That would never happen. <laughs> no. Now you see,
1: the, you see, <laughs> no. Matt. Matt calls that section. What do you call that section in yes. your paper?
2: Oh, we have the special bid barometer section as the well. The bid barometer. Yes, yes. The bid
1: barometer. We call that
2: the wall of shame.
1: Yeah. <laughs> because if you get on the bottom section of that, yeah. as you've just talked about. Um, you love to see your uh, auction house in print. It's all good promotion, but it does mean that you may slightly have got it a little bit wrong. Dropped a bit of a ricket. <laughs> <laughs> what's is there,
0: can you? Can, what's the biggest one that you've seen, uh, Matt? Do you remember? Is there is there like the ultimate wall of shame at the ATG for the for the biggest overestimate?
2: Yeah, well, the, the one I just mentioned was two thousand times top <laughs> estimate which uh, was the biggest one last year actually <laughs> which was pretty good previous year we had one estimate 400 to 600 went for a hundred wow. um yeah. catalogued as a 19th century was it 18th or 19th century but actually uh was by mary Beale, a 17th century artist and it was a, a portrait of her son Oh, um nice. and when, when we see things like that we say well who do we think might have bid on it so we phone someone like philip mold and say did you see that and he said yes i actually underbid on that one it's a fantastic thing etc etc so we know it's good hmm. and uh gives us a lot of scope for reporting it. we're not there to kind of humiliate someone who miscatalogued something that's no not, no we don't that's not our job we
1: don't think you're humiliating us matt we just like the fact that it's a bit of fun and um, auctioneers poke fun at each
2: other behind the scenes. Yeah, and that's that's oh, all good. We know people turn to turn to the sidebar of shame straight away every week. And that's, <laughs> no, uh, I, do you know that's, what? That's, that's I, very good. I was literally
0: just about to say to you: you do know that as wonderful as your magazine, and you obviously do know this, that we literally tear open the the wrapping and flick four <laughs> pages in and go, "Who's on it this week?" Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. cannot yeah, help yeah. yourself. You cannot help yourself,
2: but that is absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, or some uh, vintage bottles ca- catalogued at 10 to £20 in an online time sale this week going for, <coughs> what was <is> it, 1520 <coughs> You know.
1: Well done, Matt.
2: Yeah. Well done. Yes, someone's Matt, done the Max, research. Uh, just,
1: just, so, just so our dear listener knows that <laughs> Matt's far too prepared for this interview because that was my auction house at Windsor that did that. Thank you for that. Yes, great. Looking
2: forward to my appearance. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it, it, it was one of the ones under consideration. For,
1: uh, <laughs> I'm praying the, it's an issue, issue coming in. out,
2: but... <laughs> but what what we have to do with those is actually ascertain what we think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we reckon we have an idea, but we haven't really had time to follow it up. So you no, may no, no. you may get away with it, but oh, um, thank there God may for that. there may be a shaft and globe uh, late seventeenth century bottle in that collection. So uh, could there we may get... well be, yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> as we now all
2: know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one one sealed bottle as well, I think, but we couldn't see what the seal was, so we didn't. We couldn't really no, say that, too much about
1: that it, No, That I'll draw you on to this because you've you there was a story that you um you broke and that bottle collection and I can't tell you the production, uh, but comes from a TV production. So a set buyer had bought that a year yeah, yeah. or two ago and it's been stuck in the back. I mean, I'm amazed it's still alive as it's produ- mm. as it's appeared in several uh, productions. But yeah, tell us about there's a story you have about the series The Crown
2: some uh items uh kind of props from the crown was stolen last year and uh, someone from the set uh, knew our publication and contacted us and we uh, uh we wrote about that one um and the next day the uh, a similar story appeared on the front page of the uh, first edition of the sun for that day <laughs> um now if that was because they could get a large picture of someone looking like lady diana on the front we'll never know but that story reached far and wide um and i think part of that is the objects are not true Faberge items for example they're you know made to look like them or so on. and it's important no one ends up taking them on thinking they're something other than they are mm. often when we cover stories about items uh stolen we uh find they actually make their way back um oh. which is um uh, a real pleasure i mean firstly i would say We'll never run a story about an item stolen until we verified it by getting a crime reference number and all of that stuff so that yeah. we know what's what's coming to us is a, a proper story and so on. There's one a few years ago, uh, a family had uh, an MBE and service medals of a, a lady who was a nurse in their family uh, from late uh, 19th and early 20th century. And they'd just literally given them to the great, great niece of this nurse. And the following day, she whatever reason had them in the car perhaps taking them somewhere left them on the seat went away came back someone had broken into the car and they'd gone so she contacted the police and contacted us and we wrote a story about it nothing seemed to happen but 10 months later another lady was walking in a park near where the theft took place spotted something under a tree thought what's that went over looked at it and it was a box that said mbe on it and she thought hmm, don't know what to do with this um searched for mbe and dulwich online and immediately came to our story uh contacted us and we put her in contact with the uh, family and um a meeting was arranged and the medals were returned which was uh, rather lovely i think no, fantastic That's a fantastic story. Story. Superb. and then there's, a, there's another one i might mention is it, that one got a bit personal for me in some ways i think we one week uh, we were contacted and someone took out a two-page advert at the front of the newspaper quite a pricey thing to do, Mm. detailing a very large collection of rare Danish silver. And it had all been stolen. And they were offering a reward of £350,000 for information leading to the return. For various reasons, I ended up speaking with the owner. Obviously, they were absolutely distraught. Their home had been broken into and so on. It's the thing about art art crime. People think it's like a victimless crime and it's all very glamorous, stealing paintings and so on. But, you know, people's peace of mind is shattered by this sort of thing. Mm. And it kind of made an impression on me at the time. And I thought, well, it's great you've run the advert. People will see that. But actually, we're going to write a story about it as well so more people can find it. The idea is that um, if everyone in the trade is alerted to the fact that these items are out there, than anyone kind of rocking up to your dealership or auction house with a swag bag full of rare Danish silver, Mm. you will know, Hmm. shouldn't be taking that in, but I'll just make a call to the police while I'm in the back room and uh, sort it out. Um, Three months later, I got notified that all the stuff had been returned and that um, the thieves problem was they couldn't offload it anywhere in Europe because everyone had uh, seen this ad and the news story in the ATG. That's um,
1: fantastic.
2: How how it was returned, I'm also aware of, but I can't divulge exactly how it made it back. Um, but uh, there was a kind of heartwarming kind of end to that tale, really.
1: And that's because the ATG made it too hot to handle. And that, you know, that must give yeah. you a, pardon the expression, a warm, fuzzy feeling that I know it's your job, but you're actually doing good at the same time.
2: Yeah, I mean we are on the side of all, all parts of the trade, you know, auctioneers, dealers, fair organizers, bidders, buyers and so on and yeah, you know, we want we want it to be a successful thriving uh, industry and market and we want to see things done properly and where there are good news stories then you know that's good and when there is a bad news story and we can help turn it around then so much the better. Superb.
1: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Abs- Absolutely. That that is it. And one of the things we did want to talk to you about, uh, Matt, as well, is is um, how the ATG is. Uh, we we talk a lot about getting um, the next generation of anti dealers, mm. traders um we like to talk a lot about how auction houses and i know you guys do as well about the green credentials of buying antiques and recycling furniture and pre-loved items as a lot of people are calling them um what's the atg's take on how we go about getting the next generation uh into the world of upcycling recycling antiques and trading
2: yeah and that's a great question and i think there are kind of ranges of range of approaches that we've taken and also providing support to the rest of the trade to do so so um and you, you certainly touched on one there the uh, sustainability credentials of buying things at, in in our market if you like they're all second hand so their carbon footprint is to a greater or lesser extent negligible when you buy it for the second time it's already been manufactured and so on and so we've done things like commission a survey to quantify the exact carbon emissions saved when you buy a chest of drawers at auction or a wardrobe at auction, or even um, a secondhand watch at auction. All that data is available, by the way, and auctioneers and dealers are welcome to use it in their own marketing. Um, and we certainly use it in in ours. And we looked at uh, uh, just 15 items that are sold across our auction marketplaces worldwide and uh, all the items sold at auction that were listed on our marketplaces last year, the, the carbon emissions for those 15 categories of items saved was uh, 3 million tons. So you know, that, that sort of thing. And that's just 15 items. That's like a watch and a, uh, a table and an armchair and so on. Um, so you know if you add up the whole lot, that's an awful lot that um, our trade is doing to stop stuff going to landfill preventing new things being made unnecessarily and i think that side of it there's a lot there's a lot more to do but um you have to keep you have to keep banging that drum on it and it it does matter and it will it will filter through over time and we know that actually that's the message that resonates most strongly with the younger demographics in particular you know they want to find express some individuality through finding unique items they need to find them at a good price but they're also very conscious of the eco credentials of anything they buy, so um, that's something we've been doing and will continue to will continue to do it. You know, we have provided that data to the to the market to use in whatever form they would they would like. The other stuff we do, uh, where to find where to find younger buyers, if you like, well, online is a good place to find them. is the is the reality. So I mentioned some of the efforts we've gone into to you know, drive up the digital gazette readership which is doing doing very well and actually the gazette website and a good month will get up to one hundred thousand unique visitors now so that's very nice on you know saleroom.com for example uh we also do you know marketing and pr outreach there and we worked with social media influencers for example so a good example over the past year or so has been um work with a chap on instagram called man with a hammer he's been renovating a 30 room property in plymouth doing all the jobs himself, and then he furnishes them with uh, secondhand items, uh, often often sourced through uh, online auctions with us. Um, and he will write about those, show what he's bid for, what he's won, where it's gone, how it looks in the room, and so on. And that's a younger demographic following him. He's got 186,000 followers, for example. Um, and uh, we work with people like that to raise the profile of uh, buying secondhand, buying at auction, and so on. Um, and those are the sorts of things we can do that really will you know, help get that message across to the to the right audience but in some in some regards we're pushing on an open door but it still needs it still needs to be done
1: absolutely that man with the hammer the, his instagram account is absolutely fantastic mm. Mm. it makes you feel like a right slouch doesn't it <laughs> because he's absolutely working his rear end off yeah. converting this house and it is so funny and he does he tags all the auction houses in doesn't mm. he Hmm. he's a clever he's a clever guy
2: yeah Yeah. and uh, he's putting an awful lot into it to his credit and he's learning all these skills as he goes along which i think is just makes it more interesting as well i think but um he has got an eye for a good piece of furniture you know he knows he, he knows what he's looking for
1: yeah. Interesting.
0: That's fantastic. And unless we should forget that, uh, you know, the the Gazette is a fantastic thing in itself. But uh, the ATG as an organisation has this magnificent um, online platform, um, which from, from our perspective, Harry and mine, it is absolutely crucial to our business because yeah. the reach that it provides us, um, you know, we're down in uh, Regis, uh, down in Devon. Um, so, you know, we're not in the, the London birds, but we're still, thanks to the we're still shipping all over the world every single month because of the reach that that platform gives us. Um, what can you tell us uh, about sort of the future of the sale room or things that we might be excited about that, uh, you know, the next wave is going to bring us? Because that technology for auction houses you know, is is incredible and levels the playing field for us and bi- helps build our business. I'm excited to know what else you've got or what you can or cannot
2: tell us, I do appreciate, might be coming in the future. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, we've always got plenty of things uh, going on. I'll, I'll mention a couple. Um, one is that you probably noticed that uh, uh, a significant number of people register for your auctions uh, through us online and a portion of those will end up bidding. Not every single registrant bids every time. That's that's life and you, you understand that. But um, we think on occasions that's sometimes because people just forget they've signed up for a particular auction or whatever. So um, currently they get alerted by email, but we're, uh, we'll soon be launching an SMS uh, alert service. So they get pinged directly on their phone and we know that converts uh, even better than uh, the, the emails do. So what you should see over time is uh, a even higher percentage of the registrants actually uh, ending up bidding because they've uh, signed up for SMS alerts to remind them. Oh yeah, I've done. I'm supposed to be doing this auction today, or whatever. So um, that's coming pretty soon. Uh, longer term, uh, a couple of things I'll mention. One is what we call integrated bidding for timed auctions, so that you could list a timed auction not just on the saurum but it could also appear on our other marketplaces. So if you had an auction where you wanted to reach North American bidders, it could be integrated onto liveauctioneers.com, by way of example, and uh, vice versa and so on, uh, which would bring more auctions onto the sale room from uh, from the US side. And another thing that uh, we have have mentioned publicly is what we call ATG Pay. This is a service that's already on liveauctioneers.com in America, and it allows the bidder to, once they've won, uh, immediately pay for the goods online uh, through the same website where they bid for it. That's proved very popular in the US on live auctioneers. They have built all the technology and the infrastructure and we are migrating it onto our uh, other marketplaces. We've already started in the US on one of our other sites, which is called proxybid.com. And in time, you'll see that come across uh, to the UK. Um, And that also deals with... um, Chargebacks where there's fraudulent stuff going on and so on. So, Matt, um, you have just—I don't mean—I don't want mean to cut across <laughs> you.
1: You have just made Simon's day yeah. for two weeks over Christmas. That is all he has been talking about yeah. is how can we automate or make payments easier. Hmm. He, he'd like to end the podcast now because that's yeah. what he does. He's <laughs> right, going to go for a little light. He's going to go for a little light down. down and done good done, night. And and so well it's, done. Yeah, it's on the
2: yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you so that those are those are some of the some of the things coming so that that last one will be good for you as the auctioneer but also as the bidder it's like right okay i've I've won I've won the lot how do I pay etc et etc cetera, et cetera. okay I can just go through this process I'm familiar with it I've used it before and um it will um you know hopefully uh, speed things up and make everything uh a little bit easier for everyone
1: fantastic I mean it works for everybody does not it because a lot yeah. of people will check their invoice emails at the end of the day, they don't want to be disturbed during the working day for their hobby. If it's Mm. private Mm. and if they can just uh, pay the bill quietly, when they're sat at home on the sofa, rather than having to wait to ring us or whatever it might be. And there's all sorts of ways. It's just a game changer for everybody. Mm. Us and makes the buying experience that much more slicker. Mm. I love it. Love it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it from um,
0: you know, we've had three years of COVID and lockdowns and all the rest of it. And I'm sure that the, Obviously, you've you've monitored the figures at your end, but at, at the coalface here in the auction houses, it's been fascinating to see how many, uh, particularly down here in deepest darkest Devon, how many customers that previously <laughs> said, "I'll never use that internet. I like going to an auction. I want to sit in the room. I want to see the yeah. lights of their eye," right. and then after COVID, they've come back and gone, "Do you know what?" that internet's quite good, isn't it? I logged on to saleroom.com and it was a lot easier than I thought. And actually, it was quite good fun. We quite enjoy it now. Um, and so the one thing positive, and it's very rare anybody on any kind of channel says anything positive about the COVID years, but we have to say mm. um, the uptake, uptick in online registrations, online bidding through COVID, which has now continued out of covid um you must have seen a huge amount of data on that at your end matt
2: yeah and i think early on in lockdown you know we we went to great efforts to support auction houses who wanted to find a way to run an auction uh behind closed doors and so you know some went down the timed online route others uh realized they could hold what became known as live online only auctions and you know we were actually speaking with Um, the relevant government departments who were um, trying to work out what was legal in lockdown and what wasn't and um, working with them to explain that an auction behind closed doors isn't going to infringe anything and uh, you know even some local authorities where they were trying to close down a sale midway through it and so on um, and doing everything we could to help those auctions run and then once people started seeing that it was possible then um, more of them started to take place. Um, and that really has given auction houses a choice as to well, do I have a live sale with people in the room and phone and bidding around the world? Do I do live online only where I don't have bidders in the room but I use everything else? Uh, or I could throw in uh, timed auctions into the mix, which, you know, again, the younger generation are quite familiar with timed auctions from, you know, uh, things they've, they've purchased online for years. Um, and it's given auctioneers an interesting choice, I think, is to a uh, different sort of mix and blend of uh, auction types. People are coming back to auction houses as well, and that and that's great too. Um, but everyone has a has a viable option now, and certainly, you know, the volume of items sold online uh, or the proportion at, e- at each at each auction obviously went up significantly, and uh, it's helped a lot more people get familiar with auctions. I mean, at the same time, we were seeing things like people realizing oh I'd really like to furnish my home whilst I'm in it the whole time and uh, I'd like something interesting different um, that fits my taste and so on and so we saw interesting bids for furniture and a resurgence of interest in that in in some of those categories or people actually saying well I don't need to live anywhere near my office anymore because I don't go there people moved to the country and said well this is a period property I need you know antique furniture to actually look good here and so we saw a lot of um efforts into interiors if you like and i think on the auction house side there was a a move to uh provide more photos per lot more detailed lot descriptions and so on um and that's obviously good for everyone
0: yeah and I've, i've got to say the the advice coming from the atg during those
1: quite uh, worrying I just I just wanted to say that Simon where was it are they called webinars or webinars or whatever yeah. they're called yeah, we had and... like a never-ending supply of those <laughs> I've never been so educated in my life think you guys really i have to say you know mm. talking about that particular time you yeah. guys really stepped up to help the trade yeah because thank we you. were all being educated i mean you know nobody ever says thank you but i mean i am on this occasion because that's it was very strange.
2: gratifying and I, I think also on the dealers the dealer side you know we week after week we actually made room to for dealers to promote their stock in lockdown yeah. um in a way we'd never done before and so everyone can Hat, show one of showcase one of their items basically for free over a, a number of weeks and we got a few hundred dealers uh doing that because you know th- we need this virtuous cycle of um people buying and bidding uh dealers being able to sell stock when fares weren't taking place and so on and so it, it was important that we found ways to support all aspects of the of the trade it, indeed it's an interesting thing on the dealer side now you know Sure, fairs can take place these days and there's no COVID issues going on, but the, the costs of putting on an event have soared and a number of fairs simply can't take place anymore. Um, so that's an interesting kind of angle to things going on in the in the market that, you know, it's a constantly evolving space.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a fascinating ecosystem that we have here, isn't it? Mm. If you look at, Mm. you know, the sale room for the platform, uh, the dissemination of information via the Gazette and the online and all the rest of it. Then you've got, obviously, Mm. the auction houses uh, bringing stock to market. You guys make that marketplace and help us reach every corner of the earth. And and let's be honest, at the beginning of Covid, uh, Harry and I had a meeting where we said, we're going to put up some online auctions. We're going to put them on the sale room, and if they, for whatever reason, don't work in this new brave world, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here now. So it's mm. you know it, it was a it was a tough time, but the whole sort of ecosystem came really really worked, and quite frankly, you know, saved our bacon in a lot of ways.
2: What we're seeing now is a number of auction houses taking making moves in the market that express um a real degree of confidence in in the future yeah and, and you know that, that's everyone from bonhams buying four auction houses last year you know skinner in boston and brun rasmussen in denmark and so on um to other firms uh, relocating to larger premises building out existing premises putting in new departments or investing in shipping and packing side of the the business and so on And um, there's an awful lot going on Um, and it expresses a level of confidence among auction houses about uh, the future. Yeah, I think, you know,
1: we've been talking about how you guys were so reactive during a tough time for us. But I think it's taught us all, your newspaper and website included, that now we, we do need to think on our feet a bit and um like you you know as simon's showed um when he was being the teacher's pet your redesigned um a magazine and the digital and encouraging the new people simon and i are having to learn to call everything pre-loved rather than mm. antique yeah yeah if, if these people are under 30 i think it's i think i think it is a buoyant market and you know times are tough at the moment and we're a good way of moving things around the marketplace and getting going um i'm i'm fascinated by you said in an email to us earlier i i want to know about this story i'm moving on slightly here but this story of the maps of the spanish armada mm. just changing just changing um a bit of a, a step <laughs> change there but tell me about that i i didn't get my head around that what happened there
2: there was a, a kind of export bar put on some uh 10 10 maps that were kind of near contemporary copies made at the time of the the great events of the Spanish Armada. The the original ones were lost, but these were believed to be near near contemporary copies, and they were sold by a dealer to an overseas buyer. Um, and an export bar prevents uh, an item leaving the country if the money can be raised to, if you like, save it for the nation. Um, and uh, we got hold of this uh, story and just put it in put it in the Gazette one week, saying six hundred thousand pounds plus VAT will need to be raised to save these maps from going abroad and there's like a six month deadline on it um unbeknownst to we should also say um a couple of the top museums you might expect to go from the british library and uh, the royal museums greenwich both had counted themselves out so it looked like nothing was going to happen but uh, un- unbeknownst to us to the rescue comes uh, professor dominic tweddle director general at the National Museum of the Royal Navy. And uh, he's an Antiques Trade Gazette reader. Uh, He read that story, choked on his cornflakes as he's never heard of them, made some calls to his team and said, we have to get these. So that set in motion uh, a huge fundraising exercise. And they managed to to meet the deadline, get the 600,000 and uh, purchase the maps. And so those really important documents of, you know, a pivotal moment in English history, uh, are, are still in this country and he was uh, kind enough to say that you know he, he read it in our newspaper and if he hadn't done so then who knows what would have happened to them and uh, th- he was then interviewed on BBC TV news and, and whatever um, just promoting all of this and uh, it was quite a heartwarming little thing to to think we uh, played a very small part we didn't raise any of the money but we played a small part in making that happen well oh, fantastic
1: that is, I love that. I think that's, I think that's great. I was just trying to steer things slightly back to the ATG because I am, I'm fascinated by that magazine and I can see how it's, I can see how it's evolving, but I, it, it encapsulates what we were talking about before because it is, it you touch on everybody in the industry from collectors to dealers to obviously Simon and I have a vested interest because it's all about auctions for us. But you know, I find, I find it fascinating and it's your readership that, that often you know saves the day isn't it they'll they'll see a little story and off they go
2: yeah they're a very knowledgeable uh group of people you know all your specialist experts uh take it but you know as you said uh you know collectors who may buy things for under 100 pounds that's the th- sort of thing they collect they're interested in what's going on in the trade and where they might be able to you know look for their next item and uh you know the, the paper has a a full calendar of every chattels auction up and down the country taking place over the next two weeks. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. It's the, it's the only <laughs> place you can find, it's the only place you can find all your competitors listed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so perhaps, perhaps a, a, another story with a, a knowledgeable reader was uh, one from the other year where an American auction house from uh, the New York area ran an advert for an estate sale and it had 18 different lots listed. So all quite small pictures of, vases and one of those lovely Eames chairs and uh, paintings and so on and one was just this little green dinosaur and it just had the word nephrite under it and that was it. Uh, in the catalogue itself it was estimated at 800 to $1,200 uh, but that week good old Jeffrey Munn, you'll know him as the jewellery expert on Antiques Roadshow, picked up his copy of ATG on a Tuesday as he always does, flicked through, saw the dinosaur and realised That is the missing uh, Fabergé dinosaur. There are three known, uh, Triceratops and a Pterodactyl and uh, this one, the kind of T-Rex. And uh, he'd actually written a book about the history of Wartsky, the jewellery firm where he'd worked for uh, almost 50 years. And um, he'd included a photo of that dinosaur in the book. So he knew exactly what it was, uh, phoned us. Uh, told us this is the missing dinosaur and I phoned the auction house to let them know and obviously the auction house was rather grateful because they recatalogued it and instead of it going for about a thousand dollars as the original estimate was they got uh, 65,000 for it so
1: uh... can you imagine opening that magazine on YouTube with your Tuesday cup of tea and going I've been oh, well looking no. for that for 35 years yeah exactly yeah absolutely <laughs> now Matt tell us we, we spoke
0: hugely about the the ATG the Gazette the sale room. Tell us about yourself, yeah. Matt. What do you do? You do you bid online at auctions. Uh, what, what do you have a passion? Are you a collector? Um, how do you get involved?
2: The first thing I ever bought on the sale room was a little piece of uh, Moorcroft pottery, just as a kind of right. get myself in get myself into it. It's still on the uh, still on the mantelpiece downstairs, which is uh, <laughs> r- reminds me of uh, the first online bid I made. I think most recently in the office, we were uh, buying a leaving present for someone who decided to go and work for a, a museum. And she said, oh, there's this really nice painting here. Oh, I don't know if I'll bid for it or not. So uh, we thought, oh, okay, we'll, we'll get that for her. And of course, um, two of us had the same idea. So we were actually bidding against each other, <laughs> pushing, <laughs> pushing the price up, perhaps beyond its market value, but eventually one of us secured it. And um, uh, credit credit to uh if i might say is the auction house that the the packing on that when it arrived was absolutely first class a really really impressive uh, operation just what you want and uh, we handed it over to her and she was absolutely thrilled so um that's the kind of two two ends of our uh, bidding excitement um i have a rather mediocre stamp collection from my youth uh, that i haven't added too much in recent years uh, but when we had the 2012 olympics and uh they were kind of outputting stamps based on uh, each gold medal one um i picked up a few of those from uh when i went to the olympic park which was quite nice um and actually posted some things to myself from the postbox olympic park so we got a kind of oh, memory okay. of uh, memory of that event which is quite nice but the, sta- the stamps are worth no more than the the value on them because they're not rare and uh, none of them has the crucial printing error which is what the, the collectors are looking for. So as far as I know, none of them has a printing error on anyway, at least last time I looked. But they're a nice um, memory of, you know, the commemorative stamps depict things that are prevalent at the time. And it's nice to, it's nice to look back on those. I, they don't really mean that much to my kids, I have to say. Um, I've inherited my dad's cigarette card collection and recently the coin collection as well. So I need to go through those and uh, check out um if we have anything uh, meaningful uh, in in that area uh, i i doubt it but uh, you never know and that's part of the joy of looking through stuff isn't it um absolutely uh, i i wrote about a cigarette card that sold um a month or two ago for 25900 pounds which is a uh, a rare card depicting a, an old, an old uh, footballer who has a fantastic scoring record for England and Derby. Um, so if I've got one of those, then uh, that would be happy days.
1: <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it, Charles?
2: You, uh, you never know. Matt, it has been an
1: absolute privilege. We are so chuffed that you spent a bit of time with us today and that you've been able to shed a bit of light on the uh, ATG. We are keen to promote the uh, magazine, both the uh, digital and the hold it in your hand copy Mm. to as many people as possible. But particularly, we keep wanting to tell our younger buyers and traders Mm. to make sure it's not it's not what they think it is. It's up to date. It's hugely informative. It's educational. And you can't do without it. Um, And it's the thing to grab every week. Um, the sale room goes without talking. We're on it. Every 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 auction is um, streamed there. But yeah, thank you so much, Matt. And we really do appreciate it.
0: Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah. O- on behalf of all the auction houses, I think we can say thank you very much for your support over the last few years as well, which has been absolutely invaluable. And Matt, been absolutely delightful to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you very much for having me and uh, all your kind words. If, uh, if you ever want me back, uh, let me know and uh, we'll see what we can do. Oh, trust me, we will No be. doubt. No <laughs> doubt at all. Thank Cheers, you
1: Matt. so much, Matt. How about that? That was Matt Ball, publishing editor of the ATG, telling us all about the Antiques Trade Gazette and the Saleroom, uh, com. And um, off um, record, we were talking about, we're going to make that maybe a, uh, a regular thing. Let's, yeah. You know, get him on and talk about what's going on with the ATG. I mean, which I think is a great idea. I think it's a great idea, and
0: I think we we must have Matt back because his insights and they you know they see across the industry from traders to buyers to auction houses to sellers, um, you know, a real industry wide look. And I think it's fabulous, fabulous to hear from him, and we've got to hear from him again in the future. We need
1: an update, I would suggest. Yeah, I hundred percent, I agree with that. Uh, nice guy, interesting. I mean, I tell you what he he, get, he gets involved doesn't he he took some of that story i mean the um story about the danish silver he when wow. people couldn't see on the on the uh, video he, he gets involved personally involved in the story yeah. so i think that's really cool I think that's really good. And the fact that he was talking about COVID with the dealers and yeah. letting them promote items for free in the, on the website. We banged on about COVID, the COVID times a bit. But I think it's important that people realise that the publication stepped up, as did the sale room, and tried to help out. Absolutely. And and you know what? Without their support um,
0: throughout those difficult times... There will be a lot of businesses that wouldn't be here today and that is absolutely no exaggeration whatsoever so hats off to the ATG um and great to have Matt on and talk to him and get some fabulous insights from him absolutely brilliant
1: really enjoyed that I really love the fact he'd researched the fact and um I nearly dodged (laughs) well I'm hoping I've dodged the wall of shame I, I, do you know what? I hate a guest who's done his research. Oh, nothing, I tell you, I absolutely. It's there? nothing worse, is it? It's
0: nothing worse, because particularly when they've well, done it... more,
1: more than we have. Yeah, and they've got me, I mean, they've got me to, I mean, done, aren't they, really? Stitch me up like a kid. <laughs> right, mate, good to see you again and
0: see you in a week's time. Look forward to it and enjoyed that immensely. Take care, buddy.
1: Cheers, pal. <laughs> Hey, Simon. What have we forgotten, Harry? No. Hey, Simon, what does producer Davis want us to do? What does he want us to tell our listener?
0: And that he's really good at producing podcasts? No. He wants us to say to you, dear listener, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, tell a friend,
1: send us a postcard. Don't go off script, mate. Subscribe, review the podcast. Five stars would be great if you can. Tell a friend. It says here, tell two friends. It's all right, David, we do the jokes.